Meet Amy. She's 31 and dealing with tons of skin issues. She had great skin when she was younger, but as she describes it, it all went downhill in her 20s. She started breaking out, had areas of dryness, but was also very oily. Her skin was full of bumps, some painful cystic types, as well as those little bumps all underneath the skin. And her skin was often really red, irritated, and just felt rough. She tried the birth control pill, oral antibiotics, tons of prescription creams from different to topical tetracycline to retinols, but nothing seemed to work. When I met Amy, I noticed that she also had a lot of digestive issues, which she didn't think too much about. But of course, as many of you already know, everything in the body is very connected. She was also so concerned about bacteria on her skin that she was using tons of antibacterial soaps and products. I explained to her how this can backfire, and we embarked on a journey to put all the pieces together so we can solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the skin issues that were plaguing Amy, even though she's tried almost every medication and cream on the market. Joining me on the show today to discuss this further is Dr. Trevor Cates. Dr. Cates was actually the first woman to be licensed as a naturopathic doctor in the state of California. How cool is that? And she started to focus on skin during her work with the Waldorf Astoria in Park City, where she created wellness programs. And from there, she became known as the Spa Doctor and founded the Spa Doctor line of skincare products and wrote the Amazon bestselling book, Clean Skin from Within. Dr. Cates, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. So on the show, I focus on getting to the bottom of health mysteries and what helps me figure it out, even cases that seem to be really, really difficult, is this premise that everything in the body is connected in one way or another. And that is no different when it comes to our skin. And I know that you and I see very much eye to eye on this. So why do you call skin our magic mirror? Well, absolutely. You know, skin is our largest organ and it's right on the surface of our body. So it's an outer reflection of inner health. And a lot of times people forget that. I mean, it makes sense, but a lot of times people forget that. And so they're quick to use topical creams to suppress symptoms or women will reach for more makeup to get creative to cover up things. But I think it's important for people to pause and think, why is my skin doing this? Why is it dry? Why is it breaking out? Why is it aging faster than my friends? Why is this happening? And then look to find the root cause behind it. Because if you can address the root causes behind skin issues, you can also generally address other health issues before they come up or while they're coming up. And, and so skin is oftentimes that first early warning sign that something's out of balance. And that's the perfect time to address it instead of covering up and waiting and waiting, because that's when I see 
the more complicated health cases coming in to see me. When there's been someone that maybe as a child, they had eczema, they were given topical steroids to cover it up, you know, suppress it. And that maybe went away. And then later on, they got a little bit older and then they develop asthma. And then they are given an inhaler to suppress the asthma. So then they keep going on. And then later on, they come in to see me as an adult with an autoimmune disease because they've been suppressing those underlying causes of the uh, suppression of the immune system or uh, ignoring those signs that the body is trying to give them. But if you can start early with these warning signs, you can avoid some of these things down the road. Now, of course, if people come in and they've already got a number of health issues, we can certainly still address them. But the sooner you pay attention to what your messages, your skin is telling you, the better off you're going to be. Mm, so true. I can't agree more. And this is definitely something that was happening with Amy and something I can relate to personally as well. You know, I talk a lot about thyroid and Hashimoto's and I think a lot of my listeners kind of know me as the thyroid lady, but skin issues was something that plagued me for years as well. When I was younger, all through my teens, my 20s, you know, even through my late 20s, I had issues and, you know, I knew that it meant something. It just took me a little while to figure out. So I can really, really relate with this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly with hypothyroidism, one of the early warning signs is dry skin or with hyperthyroidism, oily skin and breakouts. And when there's that, that kind of that both going back and forth with autoimmune thyroid disease, it can kind of swing back and forth. And hormonal imbalances are certainly one of the big root causes behind skin issues. And yeah, so as we get into some of these kind of underlying factors behind skin, you mentioned um, thyroid issues and you mentioned hormonal issues. Can you talk a little bit more about the hormonal issues and maybe some of the more specific ones that are related? Yeah, well, we have a number of hormones, of course, and they're, they work synergistically together. A lot of times when we say hormones, people think sex hormones. They think about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but I'm sure your audience, they're very familiar with thyroid as well as adrenal. And of course, there are also hormones that are involved with our weight, with our blood sugar balance. Hormones rule so much of our bodies. And so of course, it's going to be connected to skin issues. And like I mentioned, um, with, with thyroid disease that it could be dry skin or oily skin. Those can be some of the things uh, with our sex hormones, uh, certainly uh, breakouts of acne and people that maybe had acne as a teen when they were going through puberty and then it went away and they thought, oh, okay, well that's, I'm done with that. But then all of a sudden it comes back later in life and they're like, what happened? I thought that was just something mm -hmm. for when I was a teenager and now I'm having acne again. I feel like a a, a pubescent child, <laughs> but you know, again, your hormones can start to go through changes at different points for different reasons. And so that can trigger more of that. And then ours are our sex hormones change as we age. Also, if they're not in good balance, they can create dull skin, premature aging. So certainly those can be an issue. Uh, there are a number of things, but those are a few of the things that I, I commonly see. Yeah. And then what are some other factors behind imperfect skin? Inflammation is a big one. And I call it skin 
inflammation when you have internal inflammation that shows up on the skin. And of course, the root causes are definitely connected with one another. If you have hormone imbalances, it can it can trigger inflammatory problems. But certainly an internal inflammation can be a big one. And that, that shows up on the skin as skin inflammation. Also nutritional deficiencies. During a physical exam, certainly in naturopathic medical school, we were taught to do very thorough physical exams, including for nutrition, looking for nutritional deficiencies that show up on the skin, um, the hair, the nails, those can be definitely a sign that you're not getting the correct nutrients, uh, as well as maybe not absorbing them, not you're not digesting or absorbing the nutrients, things like zinc or essential fatty acids, even iron, those all can can show up on the skin, B vitamins, all of those are really important for healthy skin. And of course, what happens is if we're deficient in our body, will take our nutrients to where it needs it the most. And the skin is like, maybe not quite as important for the rest of the like to, to keep the body alive. So that's where the, the nutrients are going to, you know, not show up as much. So that's one of the reasons why the deficiencies show up there. Uh, but also, uh, the microbiome is a big root cause behind a lot of the skin issues that we see. And when I say microbiome, your audience, I'm sure immediately, they probably heard about the gut microbiome. They're immediately thinking about the gut. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's true. We have this amazing, complex organization of microorganisms that live in the digestive tract that help keep not only our digestive system healthy, but our overall body. And and it is tied into the skin. But our skin also has its own microbiome. And it's very different than the gut microbiome, but it's also very important. And so we have, similar to the gut, we have all these different microorganisms that live on the skin that keep it healthy and in a disease-free state, in a state of aging gracefully and um, looking glowing and healthy. And really anything uh, less than glowing healthy skin could be a sign there's something out of balance with the microbiome, the microbiota. So that is a big part of what I, I focus on and I talk about in my book, Clean Skin from Within, and also work a lot with, with patients. That's great. And I'm so glad you're mentioning this because you're right. When people think of microbiome, they think of the gut. They don't think that all of these other areas have a microbiome. And that's also when, you know, people start using a ton of antimicrobial stuff and, you know, they're just stripping that away, which isn't good. So with the skin microbiome, is there a way for someone to say, test it, you know, just like we can maybe sometimes look at a stool test and see, okay, well, what's going on? Do we have bad bacteria, good bacteria? Is there a way to kind of look deeper into the skin microbiome to see if it's intact and working well? You know, the the technology on this is evolving. There are skin microbiota tests, but the problem is, is that because your skin is on the outside of your body, it's very much impacted by your day-to-day life. So if you have pets in your home, if you have other people living in your home, if your home is clean or dirty, if you're using antimicrobial agents to clean or on your skin, or it, it can really change from moment to moment and not really telling a lot about what it is, you know, what the struggles are. So there are ways, I mean, and really looking in the pores of around the nose, that's where some of the best research has been is actually looking at the skin microbiome because it's not as impacted by superficially what's around us. But, you know, I'm really hopeful that we're going to have 
more opportunities for that. In the meantime, I would say you can pretty much tell if your skin is clear and glowing and healthy look. I mean, we all know what healthy skin looks like. Mm -hmm. If it's like that, there's a pretty good chance your skin microbiome is flourishing. But if you've got dryness, dullness, breaking out, redness, irritation, itchiness, anything else like along those lines, any uh, rashes, eruptions, your skin microbiome is out of balance. So that's what your body's already telling you that because if that's happening, there is a disturbance and it may not be what caused it, but you know, it has happened. So certainly when we look at addressing skin issues, one of the big things we want to look at is what can we do to help support the regrowth and the environment where a healthy microbiome on the skin can flourish. And so a lot of that comes from the inside and it's also what we do topically and what's around us too. Right. Great. So let's first talk about some of the things that can hurt the skin microbiome. I mean, you mentioned using certain antibacterial agents and, you know, cleaning products in our environment. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that and some other things that can negatively affect the skin microbiome? Yes, we have definitely been living in a germophobic society for many years and and for you know reason we want to be careful of of not getting you know we don't want to get sick and we want to have good hygiene practices but we've kind of gone overboard with it and all of the hand sanitizers the antimicrobial soaps the antibiotics both internally and externally and the cleaning products the bleach the the synthetic uh, uh, toxic chemicals that are antibacterial these actually, we've gone overboard. So now we've done some damage that we have to reverse. And that's both internally and externally. So cleaning it up, avoiding those things is the first time, first thing. And of, of course, antibiotics have their place and anti uh, antibacterial agents have their place, but let's use them only when necessary and use them it carefully. And mindful of that a little bit, it being a good thing isn't doesn't mean that more of it is a, is better. So we just need to be more mindful of that. So that's the first thing is thinking about antimicrobial, antibacterial products in both internally and externally. The other things that we want to look at is really what can we do to help restore that? What can we do to help create a healthier environment? Part of that, again, goes back to the gut and how can we support the gut microbiome? And I know you asked me about skin microbiome testing with my patients. I do, I do quite a bit of gut microbiome testing because that is an important place to start is looking as, is there gut dysbiosis happening? And with that person, because it's so common, and especially uh, with acne and eczema, and that's that's majority of what I what I see in my practice, and and so we look at that of how can we support the gut? How can we um, get more fiber? How we how can we get the the good bacteria to the place where it should be and get rid of the harmful bacteria if they exist that are or, or the imbalance of the, the gut microbiome that creates that dysbiosis environment. And then also what can we do topically to use natural agents, natural products to support the skin? And a hygiene practice that that cleans our skin 
without going overboard. You know, yeah, it's about obviously avoiding those things, but also just making sure that we are replenishing and reviving that microbiome. Now, a lot of people have heard about probiotics and, you know, often think, okay, well, if we're on antibiotics, we take probiotics. Or, you know, if we have this dysbiosis, if we kill off some of the bad bugs, we'll have to put the good bugs in. So does it work similarly with the skin microbiome? Meaning like, can people put probiotics on their skin and could that actually help? Yeah, that's a really great question. And that is uh, definitely a trend that we're seeing in skin manufacturing right now. However, here's the problem is that most people are looking at using uh, gut bacteria probiotics to put on the skin. Mm. But our skin microbiome is extremely different. It's very different than our gut microbiome. The microorganisms that live on our skin are very different than the ones that live in our gut. And so it's not going to work the same to just use the probiotics that we would take internally for our gut and just put them on our skin. Now, the people, there are people saying, oh, but I'm getting good results. Well, that's probably because of the acidic nature of probiotics. The skin has a natural mild acidity to it. Whereas, you know, a lot of people talk about trying to, you know, you know, do more alkalinizing kinds of things for internally with their body. Our skin needs this acidic, it does best with an acidic environment, mildly acidic environment. And that's really important to help support the health of our skin. So with, uh, with products that people put on their skin, a lot of times they're using products with a pH that's too high. So just kind of for everybody to remember with pH, seven is neutral. And I think, you know, when it's below that, it's more acidic. Above that is more alkaline. And when we're looking, a lot of times people talk about internally trying to do things that are like drinking uh, water that has a pH that's higher because it's going to help their body. Well, the skin does better with a mild acidity. So it does better with the uh, 4.6 to 5 pH range is really where our skin flourishes, where that the, the skin microbiome can, can flourish and grow and be in a balanced state. It needs to be in that. So what happens is often as people are using soaps, for example, when you're just your daily cleansing routine, using people use bars of soaps or soaps that lather. Well, that when they when soaps lather, that usually means that they're created with a high pH. So then what happens is you're 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 raising the pH of the skin, you're disrupting that skin um, pH and and stripping the skin because you're removing also a lot of the oils, the natural oils in the skin. And so then your skin has to kind of recover from that. And that's something I want people to think about just to change is in your skincare routine, how can you change it so that you're using cleansing to clean your skin, but without stripping it and damaging the pH? Because then people will be putting products on their skin to help their skin recover. So they're going to use toners and other products to kind of help get their skin back in that place or not even use anything. And they're missing an opportunity to set the skin up for that healthy place. So going back to your probiotic question, using the, you know, when people say, oh, you know, and I have DIY skincare recipes in my book that they include yogurt because the lactic acid in yogurt is what's helpful for the skin. It's not the bacteria so much that are really healthy because those are different than, you know, the, the bacteria in our skin are different than the ones in our gut. 
Now, there have been some studies, certainly this is a huge trend in the skincare industry is how can we isolate the bacteria on the skin and can we stabilize them and then put them in skincare products and use them therapeutically. And this is still evolving. This is it. There are some big issues around this. And that is really, first of all, identifying these microorganisms and then keeping them stable, just like where there are issues with oral probiotics and whether or not they're refrigerated and how they are kept alive. And then there are regulations that say that you, there can't be live bacteria in skincare products. So then we can't even really use probiotics in skincare products mm. as the current regulations by the FDA are. So a lot of skin, what skincare companies are starting to do is look at ways we can support the skin microbiome in other ways, like our prebiotics and the pH of the, of the products. And so that's certainly with the Spot Doctor skincare products, our focus has been more on the pH and making sure that it has that perfect mild acidity pH to help support the environment for the growth of healthy skin, uh, skin microbiome. And there's certain natural actives or certain natural ingredients that do help support that. And then we want to avoid ingredients, not only the antibacterial, but also ingredients that are going to create a barrier on the skin that makes it more likely for disruption to occur. So let me give you an example. There's an ingredient called dimethicone that's in mm. skincare products yeah. and lotions and makeups. And it's kind of an occlusive kind of, it, it traps in moisture. And that can make skin appear dewy and moist. But the problem is, is it's trapping moisture in and not allowing skin to truly like breathe. I'm just going to, you know, it's not really skin doesn't really breathe like, you know, our lungs do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so when someone say they get warm or they're working out and their skin starts to heat up, they don't, they're not able to that your their skin isn't able to let that heat escape so then the skin microbiota can become out of balance you can get these overgrowth of harmful bacteria you can get these kind of imbalances so it, oftentimes we just don't think about what we're putting on our skin but that's why it's uh that's really exciting to see the science evolving on the skin microbiome and what can what we can actually put on our skin to support that rather than damage it further yeah. Yeah. And you know, dimethicone is just such a common ingredient. I mean, you go into Sephora, you know, it's probably in, you know, eight or nine out of 10 products there. Um, you know, so many manufacturers use it that sometimes it's almost hard to avoid. So I'm so glad you're talking about that. And I've always kind of heard of it as like, you know, any of the own like cone silicones, it's like this liquid glass almost that coats your skin and you know shampoos use that a lot as well and that's not great for your scalp because it's the same kind of idea so I'm definitely with you on that now what are some other ingredients um, that people should look out for um, and avoid Right. And, you know, it's interesting because dim dimethicone is not something that shows up on the radar as far as toxicity, because it's, um, you know, you'll look at websites like Environmental Working Group is a fantastic website, ewg.org. They have a database of toxic 
or common allergic ingredients in skincare products. But what they're not really looking at is what is going to help the skin microbiome. So that is something, I, and I do love EWG because, you know, my products are EWG verified because they are super clean, but it's not the only thing. But certainly we want to be very careful with all of the toxic ingredients that are in skincare products. And it's important for people to be aware that there is very little regulation, especially in the United States, around the um, around skincare ingredients, and that there have only been 11 ingredients actually banned in the U.S. in personal care products, whereas again, like Europe they've banned over a thousand ingredients in personal care products. So it's there's just this lack of regulation, and people just don't always understand what they're putting on their skin. And also, I think there's this misunderstanding of what you put on your skin just stays there and that you don't, you know, a lot of times people just don't think about what they put on their skin. But if you think about how often people use hormone creams, nicotine patches, it's a delivery system. The skin is a delivery system for medications. So what you put on your skin can get absorbed. Of course, it's not the same kind of absorption as if you actually ate it, but I would I encourage people at least for a while to stop and think if you're getting ready to put something on your skin, would you put it in your mouth? <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's kind of that filter of, uh, yeah, would I eat this? Because I'm actually putting it on my skin. And so it should actually be good for me. It should not be toxic. And so the, one of the biggest class of ingredients that is a, is a concern in personal care products is a group called endocrine disrupting chemicals. And this is just to be very important for your audience because these are horm- these are hormone disrupting chemicals. And these are in our air. We, you know, they're very common in our air, water, food, as well as our personal care products. And so we're exposed to more of these chemicals now than we ever have been. And what happens when we're exposed to these chemicals? They will bind to hormone receptors and and change the way they function. They may mimic hormones. They may just change the way the hormone receptors act. And that is one of the reasons why we're seeing a rise in hormone related illnesses and disease, including thyroid disease. And um, so this is certainly something that you people, we all want to be careful with and reducing our total exposure to these. And it's not always easy to do that in our modern day society. There are a lot of benefits that come with living in you know, our, our modern world. But one of the problems is that we have more exposure to these. But we do have control over certain things. We have control over the foods we eat. We have control over the water we drink, what we bring in our homes, and the personal care products that we use. So when we look at the total load of exposure, we've got to start reducing that. And because it just starts to build up over time. And so when we look at some of the big key ones in personal care products, the ones I want people to think about the most, the one that's the most common in personal care products is fragrance. Mm, Yes. You start thinking about nor looking at your labels of where fragrances and your personal care products you're going to see it in so many things. And, and, and even some of the so-called natural products still contain synthetic fragrance. I, and it, the word natural on a skincare product or a personal care product actually has zero meaning, unfortunately. So it's up to the manufacturer, as far as regulations go, it's up to the manufacturer to decide are they being an integrity and in saying that it's a natural product? And so, and what does that actually mean? It actually has 
no regulation. Organic does have regulations around it, but natural, hypoallergenic, those words actually mean nothing. So don't be fooled by the marketing hype. Actually turn it over Look or look on the website, look for the ingredients and see, does it have fragrance? A nice alternative, it, you could go fragrance-free or a nice alternative is, of course, organic essential oils. And so you don't have to give up the fabulous nature of uh, using our, our senses and olfactory senses because essential oils are fantastic. But uh, the synthetic fragrance, it can, contains a number of endocrine disrupting chemicals. For example, there is diethyl phthalate, DEP, that's used in fragrance to help the smell last longer. And phthalates are known endocrine disrupting chemicals, and we know that they've been detected in human tissues. They do build up in the body. They, they can be a problem. So certainly that is one of the biggest ones. There are other ones. That's where I would say start. Another one is everybody wants to be careful with sun protection, right? And they're using sunblocks and sunscreens. Oxybenzone is another one of these endocrine disrupting chemicals and other chemical sunscreens are concerns with as well. And so zinc oxide is going to be a much better alternative, healthier alternative for your skin to uh, avoid these endocrine disrupting chemicals. Oh, that's so helpful. Now, are there any other ingredients similar to, say, dimethicone where they may not be considered toxic, however, they're still not good for our skin, whether it's because of microbiome or because of other disruption that they can create? Yeah, you know, there's certainly concerns about um, a lot of these synthetic ingredients that, um, you know, are silicone or uh, petroleum-based those there are concerns about uh, with with petroleum products like mineral oil, petrolatum. You know, you're going to see these on a lot of personal care products. There certainly there are concerns about contamination or people reacting to them. But also, I'm concerned about, and we need more research on this. What exactly are they doing to the skin microbiome? And uh, plant-based oils are definitely they appear to be a much healthier alternative. Because especially certain ones like argan oil actually helps support that mild acidity to the skin. And oils don't have a pH. You can't test the oil of pH, uh, uh, the pH of oils. But there are certain ones that actually can help support the pH rather than impeding it. Ones that can help, you know, help your skin breathe rather than trapping in the moisture and the heat. Yeah. Now, speaking of oils... A lot of people think that if they have oily skin or if they're breaking out or they're acne prone, they actually want to use things that are oil free. And I think between the media and just what we've heard over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, it's kind of been ingrained in us. But that's not really true, is it? No, I, you know, I compare it to the low fat phase in the 80s, you know, with, with diets that we thought, okay, if you want to lose fat, you got to stop eating fat. And now we know that's not true. It's there's a difference between good fat and bad fat, and it's it's very similar with skincare products. Not all oils and skincare products are the same, and that's what I'm talking about. The plant-based oils, some of these are very nutrient rich, and they are they're not going to clog the pores, and they're actually going to help the health of the skin. Whereas other oils, like some of these mineral oils and um, thicker oils, synthetic oils. 
they, they could create problems. And if you're not properly cleansing your skin, sure, you can create, create some imbalances. But I find that plant-based oil cleansers in the right pH are, are a much better alternative for people with all types of skin issues, whether that is acne prone or sensitive or um, aging skin. I have what I did with the Spot Doctor was the reason why I created the Spot Doctor skincare line is when I was working at the Waldorf Astoria and I was working, I was writing my book, Clean Skin from Within. I was helping people with that inside out approach to, to healthy skin. Uh, I was getting feedback from my patients that that natural skincare products didn't work. And so I started to look into the research of what's missing in natural skincare products because there, I know there are these healing powers of nature. And I started to realize that we're missing a lot about what can support healthy skin and that the pH and the natural actives and those components that um, really help support healthy skin. So that's what led me to create the Spot Doctor line. And when, when I was creating, I realized that I could create one four-step skincare system that works well for all skin types. Because when I started to think about it, like, why wouldn't I want a skincare system that's good for sensitive skin? I mean, even if I don't have sensitive skin, which of course I do, but even if I didn't, why would I want to use products that weren't that would be potentially reactive. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to break out. You know, I, I, you know, so of course I want something that's going to keep me from having acne. All of us are getting older. So why wouldn't we want products that are anti-aging? Why wouldn't I want products that help even skin tone? Because who doesn't struggle with, you know, those uneven skin tone issues? We all want those things. So what we get back to Again, it's the, the pH of the products, what supports a healthy skin microbiome, what's going to naturally hydrate our skin and replenish it rather than just putting on products that make us look dewy and glowy in the moment. And as soon as we wash it off, we have to start all over again, or even they're making us step backwards. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the different steps in the skincare regimen because there's so many different things we could be doing. I mean, I think most people know they need to be cleansing. And I think most people out there know that moisturizing, even if your skin is on the oilier side, is still going to be somewhat important. But then, you know, we have serums and there's toners and there's mists that you could put on. I mean, there's so many different things. So can you talk about which steps are the most important and why and why the steps need to be followed in a specific order? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that we with the skincare industry, oftentimes it's overcomplicated and with the different skin types and all the different products. What I found to be the most important steps is the first one, which I mentioned a little bit, is the cleansing. I mean, that's really the most important step. The, I should say the one that people make the biggest mistake with is cleansing because we're trained at this point to feel like our skin should be squeaky clean after we wash it. But actually squeaky clean means it's been stripped. And so um, the first step is to use a cleanser that's going to clean but without stripping and while still maintaining that pH. Because even water, if you just rinse your face with water, the pH of water is around seven, and that's actually still too high for skin. So we want to use things that help support that mild acidity. And then if you're doing that, you don't really need a toner because with a toner, what they're doing is they're helping 
get your skin re kind of rebalance the correct pH of the skin, get it back to that modesty, as well as continue to clean the skin any additional residue. But if you're using a good cleanser, you shouldn't really need a toner. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. I always wondered, you know, what the toner was for. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, and then, but I do think serum is a nice step to, to help kind of prep the skin and that next step. It's an opportunity because the way that serums are made, they're made to be rapidly absorbed in the skin. So it's an opportunity to, to take up antioxidants and those, those natural actives and kind of help prep the skin, nourish the skin. So I do like, I do like serums. And then of course, moisturizing, that's going to be important. I, I have two steps of moisturizing in my skincare system. So I have a light moisturizer and then I have a plant-based oil blend so it's all oils and that people can use to add more hydration and uh, so especially a lot of people will like like a heavier moisturizer in the evening so then you can add that extra um, uh, moisturizing uh, intensity in the evening and um, so that's what I find and then of course during the day you want some sun protection, if, especially if you're going to be outdoors a lot, you know, using a, a zinc oxide-based sunblock, and, and and but you don't need that at night. So we didn't include sunblock in, the, in my skincare system because I wanted people to use the same moisturizer at night. That's kind of the daily routine. And then you can also add in masks and exfoliants, uh, you know, once or twice a week to kind of help support the, um, the skin cell turnover with it, with exfoliation, a gentle exfoliant mask can be great to add extra hydration or purifying the skin. So it kind of depends on that's when you can really customize your, with your skin and whether it's oily or dry, you're really trying to get more of those, um, anti-aging benefits. Um, I know people often ask me too about eye creams and, with my products, they're so gentle as far as, you know, being very natural. People can use them right around the eye area. So our serum, I encourage people to use that right around the eye area, and they don't really need an eye cream as a result of that because it works really well. But, but in, you know, in the skin on your rest of the body, it's, just, it's similar. It's not as delicate, but it still needs that mild acidity. So again, avoid those bars of soap and instead looking for body products that don't go above uh, five pH. Okay, and that's not typically listed on the product, so people would actually need to use like a little pH strip or something like that to check, right? Yes, you can get simple pH strips and test products. Now, again, if something is one hundred percent oil, you cannot test the the pH. It has to have water, you know, in it to have uh, to test. The pH, but absolutely, I and and I just started. I just created a a body line because I couldn't find. I would I kept buying moisturizers and cleansers from the health food store, natural products, different ones, and then I would test the pH, and they're all over five point five, and that that I was just so frustrated with that. So that's why I decided to create around here. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, you know, you know what you're looking for. And if you can't find it, right, you have to make it. And, you know, when it comes to pH, I know you said you want to make sure that obviously your cleanser is mildly acidic, but you're saying everything like the serum, you may not be able to test, but the moisturizer also has to be mildly acidic too, right? 
Right. Well, you know, and our serum is not all oil-based, so you could, you know, you could test, but it depends on the type of serum, whether it's an oil serum or, or not. But yeah, you can, I think, I think it's important for all of the steps to uh, be in that, that mild acidity to, um, to ensure that, you know, you're providing that environment for a healthy skin microbiome. Yeah. I've heard people say sometimes, like if you're doing, let's say, a hair rinse, you know, you can, uh, after you condition your hair, you could just take a little bit of apple cider vinegar, dilute it with some water and rinse your hair out with that. I'm assuming that's probably for the same reason to get that mild acidity, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You're this, you know, your scalp, your hair, they also do well with uh, mild acidity. Now, I have DIY skincare recipes in my book, and I think that they're absolutely fantastic. Now, I do want people to keep in mind the same thing with the pH. If you're making your own products to put on your, whether it's your hair or your skin or whatever, think about you don't, just like you don't want it to be too high of a pH, you also don't want it to be too acidic. So that's one of the problems that I do see sometimes when people start using apple cider vinegar and, and DIY skincare recipes. Uh, is that you want to make sure that you're balancing with something that has a higher pH, so that it doesn't get too acidic. And also another common DIY skincare ingredient is baking soda, and that has a really high pH. So again, trying to balance those things out, and you can use pH strips um, to, to to help. Uh, but but think about that when you're when, if you're making your own skincare products. Mm, that is such a good point because so many people do make it, you know, with things like shea butter and you know, there's just so much stuff on the internet. But you're right, like they're not considering that pH, and it can be too acidic or obviously, of course, too alkaline. I wanted to ask you also, what about alcohol? Because alcohol is something that we see in a lot of skincare products, and you know, I think there's kind of a controversy, you know, sometimes people say that they're needed to make sure that everything gets emulsified, but is that drying to the skin? And what is that doing to the pH? It depends on the type of alcohol. Um, some of them definitely are, is, you know, certainly it's drying. Um, and, and also it depends on the amount that's used. And you want to use a line that is formulated well. And we're very careful in the way that we formulate but I know that a lot of times people are quick to formulate or not really considering all the different, the balance of, of all the things that they're putting in and what is actually um, ending up in the, in the end product. So um, it's really a balance. And, and certainly when you're making your own skincare products, I would, I would skip the alcohol because of that issue of, it depends on the type, depends on the amount, and it gets a little tricky. But there is there is a place where it just like water, some people will say, oh, water should not be in skincare products. Well, it depends on what else is in the product. Like we use um, a, 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 a dried aloe. So in order to activate that, to get it, you know, to be in that, in that state that we wanted, we have to add some water to it. So there is water in some of our products. And and, but that's okay because we balance it out with other things. Right. Water's not all bad. <laughs> so it just depends on what else is in the products. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, this is so interesting and so helpful. You know, I think especially with this mild acidity, it's something that people just don't think about. And I just don't think it's talked about nearly enough. So I am so, so glad that um, 
you know, you told us all about this and gave us more information. And of course, just about this connection between our skin and our whole body, the skin microbiome, how it's related to the gut and um, everything else in the body. So thank you so much, Dr. Cates, for all of this information. And I'm really excited to try your line and um, check it out. And um, I will definitely put all of this information in the show notes for um, everyone that's listening. So you guys can take a look and see for yourself as well. Right. And I know we, in the beginning, we talked a lot about the root causes behind skin issue, skin issues. And that can sometimes be overwhelming. Like is microbiome an issue for me? Are nutritional deficiencies? So I actually, I put together an online skin quiz to help people figure out what their skin type is and what the root causes are behind it. And so people can get that at theskinquiz.com. So it's a really nice online tool to help kind of clear up the confusion and help you focus on really what your root causes are and based upon what your skin type is. Oh, that's wonderful. I will definitely post all of that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate all of this information. It's going to help so many people. Thank you for having me. As we just heard, our skin is our inner mirror and looking at what's happening inside the body and supporting that along with the skin's microbiome is the key to good skin. I'll tell you more about what we did for Amy in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Cates, her skincare line, and all of the resources that we mentioned, I have all of the details in the show notes for you for easy reference, healthmysterysolve.com, episode number 54. And for Amy, we started with a stool test and saw a ton of dysbiosis. And if her gut was disimbalanced, I knew her skin microbiome was likely not in a good place as well. So I put Amy on an elimination diet and worked on cleaning up her gut. We used digestive enzymes and bitters to help her better digest her food based on her test results and a combination of biofilm disruptors and antimicrobials that have both antibacterial and antiparasitic properties to address those imbalances. I used oil of oregano, silver psyllin, microgon, and allicillin along with interface for the biofilms. I then used a strong probiotic, Orthobiotic 225, along with Enterovite, which is a short-chain fatty acid supplement, which helps to bring the good guys back and allow them to better flourish in her gut, and a glutamine-based product called GI Revive for healing. And by the way, all of these are available on my practice website, completenutritiononwellness.com, if you wanted to take a look at those and look them up to learn more about them. The Enterovite is an Apex product, so to view that one, you just have to log into your account to be able to see it. Then we worked on cleaning up her environment, her laundry detergent, household cleaners, and of course, her skincare, which was very synthetic and way too alkaline. She was so used to using harsh products and getting her skin squeaky clean, which by the way, I could totally relate as I too was like that when I was younger. And of course, that was not the answer. When we first started, breakouts were actually a little bit worse, but it was only for about a week or so as her body was going through the cleanse and getting rid of all the bugs. After the first week, the major breakouts subsided and she started getting less and less new eruptions. It took about three months for the breakouts to completely stop and another three months for the rest of the redness and the roughness to go down. And I kept assuring Amy that this timeline is what's to be expected because of the cycles of the skin. Great news though, six months later, her skin was clear, even glowing. 
I was so excited that we cleared her skin from the inside out without the harsh medications and the side effects that they bring. But what's even cooler is that by balancing her microbiome, her digestion improved, and this is going to help her for years to come. If Amy sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to this show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.